Welcome to Random Rambling and Rhetoric with TJ Mercer. That's my TT. And it's all powered by the Samsung Notes. Now, here's my TT. I just loves me some porta potties, said no one ever. I don't know about you, but the ickiest thing on the planet is when I am forced to use a porta potty. I try to hold my bladder until the last possible minute. And what about nasty public restrooms? Ew, public restrooms plus kids. Parents, what do you do as soon as you take them to a public bathroom? You make them hold up their hands and forbid them to touch anything. Then you get in the stall, there's no toilet paper or seat cover, you handle your business, come out, and then there's no soap or paper towels. Lord, how much of Jesus is just not a good situation all around. Fortunately, though, fortunately, there's the restroom kit, a full bathroom solution the size of a lightweight deck of cards. A deck of cards, y'all. I keep one in my purse all the time just because it's complete with a full patented oversized toilet seat cover, enough toilet paper to cover the essentials, plus wet wipes for your tushy and your hands. The restroom kit is a don't leave home without a necessity for your road trips, you going camping, the beach, festivals, basically any restroom that ain't yours. Even that friend of yours who's cleaning is not their strong suit. You know what I mean. So pop on over and visit therestroomkit.com. That's therestroomkit.com. And when you use the code RAMBLINGS, R-A-M-B-L-I-N-G-S, you will get 15% off your purchase. So stop going to the bathroom without the full protection you need. Go get the restroom kit at therestroomkit.com. So... Uh, tonight, it is probably maybe one of the most transparent that I've done in a long time. And for those of you who may be new to me, let me just introduce myself. Because like I said, I normally don't do lives over on IG. So I am TJ Mercer. I am known as the walking exclamation point, the chief noisemaker of Media Mavericks Academy, the human emoji, uh, the beast in the media streets, as well as the world's greatest hugger. And I teach authors, experts, coaches, and entrepreneurs how to rock their genius, book themselves in the media, rock their genius, crush their interviews so that they get invited back. And um, one of the, the parts of my story that most people know but uh, are surprised when they discover that my background is I'm an award-winning television editor. So I worked on some of the biggest shows on television, like Extra, The Tonight Show, The Bachelor, Swamp People, My Cat from Hell. Uh, I did feature film uh, publicity for Shrek, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Incredibles, Prince's Diaries, uh, uh, Cars, you name it. If you got a Disney film in your arsenal, I probably worked on it. Now. What a lot of people are surprised to find out is that in the midst of a successful Hollywood career, while I was doing my thing, holding it down, I was being held down in my own home. And so as I was thinking about this today, what happened was I woke up and in the last couple of days, there were three black women who have been killed 
by their abuser. And it shook me because the, t- the, the statistics say that a woman is 70% more likely to be killed after she leaves. And this was the case for each of these women. Each of these women, um, one, two were stabbed and one was shot. And not only was she shot, I believe two other people were shot. So one was in Baton Rouge and she died in her daughter's hands and they were going through a divorce. The second woman was, uh, I forget what city, it's Ohio, I believe it's Cleveland, Ohio. She had been divorced. Her husband, who was a judge, had actually been to prison for attacking her before. He got like a two-year sentence, basically a slap on the wrist and only did like nine months in, in jail. And he ended up stabbing her to death recently. And the third woman was in Chicago and that made kind of more of headlines because it was an active shooter situation. Hi, Keandra. It was an active shooter situation. And um, he went in, it it was her ex-fiance and he went in and from what the report said, there was a confrontation in the parking lot. He pulled a gun. He shot her three times, stood over her and shot her another three times and went in, went in the hospital. Um, and just knowing that it shook me. And because one of the things that was important to me when I wrote my third book, The Six Figure Battered Wife, My Path to Resilience, was that I needed to explain how women end up here. Because no one who knows me now, it blows people's mind when they find out that on that wall right there, this wall right here, I was choked within an inch of my life. In that bathroom right there, I was pulled off the toilet, urine still going down my leg, and was dragged into the bedroom by my hair. And just right here on the floor in front of me, there was a a tape measure wrapped around my throat. And the only thing that saved me was uh, the tape measure broke. And that's just the incidents that I can recall easily. There were so many and I, I go through them in my book. But here's the thing. The physical abuse, we understand, we get. And I appreciate when you guys have shared this with women who, you know, you may think they're going through it. They don't even know. And that's what I really want to talk about tonight is that the physical abuse I got, I understood that. But what I didn't understand was really how I got there. And it does not start off. You, We don't marry these men necessarily who have just hauled off and just hit us. It's it's not the wedding and all of a sudden now we're getting hit. It is a systemic, insidious escalation. Hey, Jennifer, isn't it it systemic? Hey, Anisha Amber, Halona um, on IG. It's a systemic escalation that we don't even know what's happening. So when people look at me and they think, okay, I was, you know, educated, 
high earning, highly respected in my industry, successful. I am outspoken, loud, boisterous. They cannot imagine what I lived under. And so one of the things that's important to me, it's really important to me, is that either you walk away from my time from our time together understanding how women like me stay or understanding how your niece, your daughter, your cousin, your sister, your girlfriend, how they are still staying and that you kind of have a little more compassion about it. Because what happens is, and I didn't understand it until I got out of it. I didn't realize how much of the dysfunction I was in until I got out of it. And it's probably better that I didn't know that 70% of women are are likely to or more likely to be killed after they leave, because that may have scared me to leave. I just knew I had to get out. And on November 9th, it's been nine years this month. On November 9th, after this last incident where I just knew I was going to die on this wall right here, after that, I didn't look back. I moved out of my house for two years. This is the house I bought for my 25th birthday. And it's so much I want to cover because I just want to really help you understand or get or get understanding for you to love on another woman who's going through this. But there's escalations to this. So most likely people think, you know, abusers, you could see it. You can't. But what can you do to help a woman who doesn't recognize she's being abused? That's what I'm getting ready to cover, Halona. That's exactly what I'm getting ready to cover. It's my prayer that my the, the examples I give, some of the criteria I put out there will trigger like, oh, wow, wait. Because for me, I didn't realize I was being abused until one night I was staying late, um, late at work. I think I was working on The Incredibles. And I was staying late at work because it had gotten to the point that I was trying to stay late at work so he could go to sleep. And then I would pretend I was still asleep when he got up the next morning because it was so much chaos and tension and you're walking around on edge eggshells. And the first thing when I when I read this question, something told me to just Google or whatever Yahoo at the time. I don't think it was Google, but look up domestic violence. And I came across this website the National Center for Domestic Abuse or something. I came across the website and it had this, this chart, this wheel. And on the wheel, it had this, uh, this list of criteria. And you could have knocked the wind out of me when I realized that I fit every single piece, every single piece of criteria. The only thing that didn't, didn't resonate with me is children. And it was he uses the children against you. Well, we had lost our daughter, but I know he would have used that. And so when I when I speak on this, I, I walk you through. The first thing is abusers are typically very charismatic. They're, they're typically very charismatic. They're the life of the party. They don't, um, they show the outward signs. That's why it happens a lot in the churches. They don't show the outward signs because everybody loves them and no one can imagine that they turn into this demon. 
So what happens is you get married and uh, there's an author who she was the one that really triggered you know, me to wake up. Her name is Patricia Evans. And she wrote this book called The Verbally Abusive Man, Can He Change? I read her book, tracked her down, got on a conversation with her for 30 minutes. And that was when I decided to file for divorce. Because she, in her book, she explains that usually when a woman is uh, abused, they can track to the exact moment when stuff, something was off. And it typically is connected to an event that has happened that solidified the relationship for the man. And I'm only talking from the perspective of woman being abused. I don't know nothing about men be abused. You know, they have to speak on that on their own. But when she she goes into detail, it usually is tracked to they've said yes to getting engaged. They've said yes to, hi, author, R11. I don't know if you're pronouncing it right. Hi, Tricia. It's usually, usually when they've gotten engaged or sometimes when the wedding invitations have gone out or sometimes when um, right after the ceremony, where in the man's mind, I got her. She's not leaving. Or sometimes it happens when they have the first child. In his mind, and this is what she breaks down, in his mind, he is solidified. There's no way she's leaving me. She's not, she's not going to leave me. And so then that gives him permission to show his full being. So we're not in this relationship with this person that's a monster because we've only seen the charismatic side, the side that adores us. You know, people around my ex-husband, they would thought he loved my dirty draws. So one of the first escalations happens when you've married this person or you're in a committed relationship with this person and you think they want the best for you. So they're giving you constructive criticism of, well, you don't look good in that. That doesn't accentuate your, your body or... You know, you don't you didn't uh, wash the dishes correctly. This is the right way. And so it's kind of like as a woman, you want to please your man. You know, what one, what woman is going into a marriage that don't want to please her husband? So you're making these adjustments. So then the next level of escalation, though, and what's happening is he's just actually like wooing you or, or kind of like nipping at your self-esteem and you don't realize it because then what happens on the next escalation is that the, the constructive criticism starts to get a little meaner and he's not talking to you in a nice tone. It's very, I'm going to talk down to you. So for example, my ex-husband was very good at finances. I'm a right brainer. I'm a creative. It takes me a minute uh, we known. Thank you. Uh, we known. I, I apologize. It takes me a minute to process strategies and formulas and things like that, that he could do in his sleep. So he would use that to attack me and basically tell me, like, the only thing you should ever be is, Halona says, this is exactly what a family member is going through. It's been eight years. I'm getting to that, Alona, because there's really nothing you can do but just have compassion, especially after I finished breaking this down. It got to the point where my ex-husband was like, you should only ever be an editor because you have no business sense. 
There's nothing else you're good for. I mean, we would have these conversations and then we would have conversations of how I vacuum. I don't vacuum right. We would have conversations and it's always a moving target. It's always a moving target. Just when you think that you've gotten it down, they change the game. They change the rules. Now, when you're educated, I can't speak. I cannot speak for women that comes out of you know, low income situations or horrible family situations. That's why it took me so long because I couldn't recognize anything. Any, all of what was happening to me was foreign. And so as an educated woman, he's actually also grooming me to say, you can figure out how to work the latest edit equipment. You can work on these million dollar shows, but you can't figure out how to make your husband happy. Or what kind of woman of you are you that you can't, you know, figure this out? And it's always what you should, you should, you should. And it just got to the point where it's like he knew as an overachiever, there's no way I'm going to fail at my marriage and have a successful career. So abusers, they latch on to what makes you tick. They latch on to what makes you, what drives you. And he knew failure for me was not an option. So his trigger words were, would be uh, if you were a real woman or a real woman would. And then I remember one day he told me, and I look back on this and I'm like, oh my God, how far did I let myself go? He was like, I would have married you had I known you had so many issues. And at that point, I was just like, I could name, you know, and this is not to bash him. So I'm not even going to tell you what his weaknesses were because this is not this is not for me to bash him. But I can remember like, but dude, you X, you Y, you Z, like I got issues. Like, are you serious? But that's the instability that he kept you on. So we're at the it gets escalated. The constructive criticism starts turning to being me. Now, for a person like me. At some point, I'm starting to push back, which then triggers the next escalation. The next escalation is he going to start cursing at me and calling me out my name. We had lost our daughter. And he said to me in one argument, he said to me, you dirty bitch. That's why you can't have children. Now. I'm still grieving. I'm still blaming myself, you know, for, for losing her. She was, she was born stillborn. I'm still trying to wrestle. What did I do wrong to cause this? And you're going to throw this at me. And this is coming from my husband, the man who's supposed to love me, cherish me, protect me. Th this is coming from him. Like, can you imagine that kind of blow? And so my house had become um, a, a place of just, there was no peace. I remember at one point, like nobody knew I was living like this. But I remember at one point, my mother was like, baby, you okay? You don't laugh anymore. Because I was always on eggshells. I never knew what was going to be wrong. I remember one day we had a full-blown argument because you know how you bring home takeout and they have it in the styrofoam containers and, um, and you put it in a plastic bag. We had a whole argument of how I don't know how to organize in the refrigerator because the bags are taking up so much space. 
Like my ex-husband had was slight OCD as well. So my house, you see like turquoise walls. My house was white and gray, like very antiseptic, if for lack of a better word. And it he would just pick, they, they just pick at you. And they're constantly just kind of nicking at you and just eroding what you think. Because still, this is a person supposed to be a person that loves me. So I know I should be able to figure out how to communicate to him. Like we would have conversations about, you know, I supposed to say good morning, honey. And so when I would say good morning, honey, well, today, you know, you're supposed to say good morning, baby. I'm like, like I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. This is narcissism at its highest. Anytime I read articles about narcissism, I'm like, I can tick off every single thing. Like you cannot get comfortable around a narcissist. And here's the thing, if you're listening to this and, and what I've said so far has resonated, it's not you. A narcissist will intentionally break a perfect toy. There is nothing you're ever going to be able to do to please a narcissist because their very definition is to tear you down. You hear what I'm saying? That, that, that is their job description, if I could be so bold. So you've gone from constructive criticism to being mean to then calling you out your name. And so now I'm calling him out his name, totally out of my character. Like I'm cussing at him like he cussing at me. We up in this joint just going at it. And at one point I was like, I don't even recognize myself. Like this is not who I am. And he was so picking on me for a long time that I started looking for ways to pick at him, waiting for him to make a mistake so I can point out his mistakes. That is not me at all. I don't look to go tear people down. But yet I was I was sitting like a cobra waiting to strike so I could pounce on him and show him how imperfect he is. And then narcissist has this thing about lying. Like they are so good with it. And, you know, I hope it, this may offend some people if you support him. But from out the gate, I used to work on one of Trump's shows. And from out the gate of watching him through the election, I put, I knew like he's an abuser. I could see it. The way he just are, is adept at denying things, say I didn't say it. And even though you got the proof and it's like, yes, you did. You said it here. And then he has this way of spinning off of it. Like, you know, well, that's not a big deal. Like, as hard as he went on President Obama and the birther issue, it was finally disproven. And then he act like it wasn't no big deal. And it's like, dude, you spent a year doing this. That is what living with a narcissist is like. They're constantly and like it, my my ex-husband was such a profound liar that it became a game for me to watch, like I would know the truth, but sometimes, and I'm gonna get into this later, but sometimes it was like, it made me second guess myself. Like, now I know that's not the truth, but the way he's adamantly defending it and the way he's going hard on it, it's like, it can't nobody defend a lie that vigorously. Now you have to realize 
I'm coming from a solid home, from a family who loves me, from, from a family who supported everything that I did. They never tried to clip my wings. And here I'm now finding myself living with someone who will kill me over a lie. Like, I cannot tell you how many drop down fights we had became because he was lying to me. So we're now at, we're cussing each other out. Then it's, he realizes I'm losing control over her. I'm losing control over her. So now let me use my physical strength. When I mean physical strength, it hadn't gotten to the hitting yet. It's the restraining. It's the, it's the making sure you don't move, preventing you from leaving. I remember we got into it one day. Get this. He had convinced me. Now he wasn't working. He wasn't working and he had run up quite a bit of debt. And somehow, I don't know if it also was like, I just wanted to be at the house, but to, he want, I, I wanted to do these shows at the same time. I was working on, I forget what show I was working on in my main job. Um, Charlotte says, when I started second guessing myself, I knew I needed to get out. See, I, didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't realized that because I was going to not be divorced. I was not going to fail at my marriage, Charlotte. So I still had to go through a couple of other escalations. So when um, I wanted to do this show and then I got offered to do Kung Fu Panda for DreamWorks. And it was like, I wanted both of whatever the first show film was, I couldn't remember, but I really wanted to do Kung Fu Panda. And he convinced me that, you know, yeah, we need the money. And in my head, I'm going, we need the money because you want to run up all of this debt out gallivanting, I realized now he was having affairs, but I didn't realize it at the time. I just, I didn't know what I thought. That's how far I had just checked out. And so he convinced me that, you know, you can, you can do this. I will drive you to work. I will pick you up, take you to the next job. And I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up when you get off at two in the morning. Okay, fine. First night, first day I go to my, my main, my main show. He picks me up on time, picks me up on time, brings lunch. He was, he was the one that cooked. So he brought lunch. I never had to, and I never had to worry about chores or anything, anything. He then um, picked me up, took me to uh, Paramount Studios for me to do the second show. I call him an hour before I'm ready to go. And I said, I'll be ready at 2 a.m. Do you not know this dude didn't show up to like 3.30 in the morning? And then somehow convinced me why I shouldn't be mad that he picked me up late. And so the next morning, I had already agreed that I was going to do this for two weeks. I had already agreed. I tried to leave. And he's like, no, I'm taking you. And I was like, no, I'm good because I don't want to wait on you for an hour and a half when I'm tired and I need to turn around and get right back up. That turned into my favorite cookie jar being broken my cell phone thrown up against the wall because it's my fault that I'm upset with you and don't want you to drive me to work because you were an hour and a half late. You, are you seeing what I'm saying? Like it was crazy. And then one day he, he, I was in between shows. I said, and this is for me, Charlotte, kind of when I started realizing something is really off. He went, I sent him to pick up my check. He came home and he was like, wow, they really respect you and they really like you. Why? 
And I just remember sitting there going, I don't know how to answer that. Because if you don't know why people love your wife or like your wife, I I don't know how to explain that. Helona says you'll never win no matter what you do. Yes, but Helona, the problem is we don't know that. We don't know that. We are committed trying to figure this out. But it took me years of after I left to realize I was not going to win. So we're having fight. He took my keys. He used to, he forbade me to leave. And the only way I was going to get to work on time, if I finally surrendered and let him go. So then, then there were times where he would lock me in the car and I couldn't get out. I remember one incident where going back to how you can't, you can't win. This is a perfect example. So he used to have business meetings and charge people to meet with me, people who wanted to have TV shows. So he would charge people to meet with me and we'd go dinner. So this one time I had, um, I had an early screening, but being a good wife, I agreed. Okay. I'll still go to this dinner. And he kept prolonging the dinner. So finally I said to the person we were having dinner with, I was like, do you mind bringing him home? Because I need the car to go home. I need to go to bed because I have a really early screening. Baby, he wrapped it up real quick and went ziggly boom on me in the car. You never do that to your man. You stay there and you be the dutiful wife. And I kept saying to you, I was like, but dude, I told you, we need to be leaving this restaurant by nine. You promised me that we would. And he was like, you should have been more discreet with it. You should have sent me a text and said, you know, um, you know, you're ready to go. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, fine. Two days later, we have to go drop my car off for service. And I, he was dropping my car off. He was supposed to take me to work. He does the same thing. He prolongs the conversation with the service guy. He prolongs the conversation and I'm like, I need to go. I need to get to work. I need to get to work because I, I started realizing he was jealous of my career. He was jealous of the respect and the love that people showed me in my career. And so I did what he said. I was like, okay, I'm gonna send him a text. Sweetie, we need to leave. I need to go. He looked at it, put it back in the pocket, told ignore me. 10 minutes go by. I send it again. We need to leave. I need to get to work. He ignores me, put it in the pocket. So what do I do? I take the car and I just leave. Knowing all hell was going to break loose. But you get to a point where you don't care. Because you have no frame of reference with this. So I didn't care. So then we're having tussles in the house. He had not flat out hit me yet. The next escalation is when I started bombarding my way, he's trying to restrain, he's trying to keep me from leaving the house. He And then uh, I started pushing him away and fighting my way out the house. That's when the knockdown drag out fights started happening. That's when the real physical kicked in to the point, like I remember one day I knew he was getting ready to charge me. And I spread my legs, you know, so I could have some leverage so I could brace for the impact. And in that moment, I realized 
this is crazy. I'm preparing to have defensive techniques against my husband. What is going on here? But I still, I still didn't quite get it. We somehow, I convinced him to go to counseling and he had even convinced, you know, people at my church that I was crazy. He couldn't get through to me. And that still, for me, it was like, no, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. And so time goes on and I'm still walking around on eggshells. And it had gotten to the point I stopped sharing life with him because he used to actually threaten to come up to my job. And fortunately, I was I was, you know, a, a great editor. So I never stayed in one place long. I was always able to move from show to show to show. So it got to the point where I wouldn't even tell him where area I was working on or what show I was working on. He'd ask me, where are you working? Oh, I'm on Paramount's lot. Where are you work? Oh, I'm on DreamWorks lot. Because then, you know, the lot is so huge, they're not going to let him onto the lot. You know what I'm saying? So he can't find me. And it just got to the point, I started doing life alone. And wouldn't invite him anywhere. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't include him on anything. It was almost like we started living as roommates. And I'm still trying to figure out, but I'm in a marriage, God. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, And then I started getting wind of different affairs because women started calling my cell phone all the time. And I remember for my birthday one, one, one year, he had gotten 35 balloons. It was 30, I was turning 35. He got 35 balloons and went back and forth to the, th this is how they're crazy. Th th listen to me. And I'm, I'm giving you specific examples because if you're living in this or if you have someone you love that's showing you stuff like this, you have to tell them it's not them. This is the crazy that they will do to you. He, he went back and forth to the farm, to the pharmacist, to the florist to get me balloons because I don't really like flowers. I love balloons. And I came into the house. He wasn't here, but balloons were all over the place. But I knew I was like, I can't enjoy this. I can't, I can't get comfortable in this because he's gonna, he's gonna do something, you know, and I'm I'm waiting for the other ball to drop. And so, but I was like, okay, you gotta, you know, show some kind of appreciation. So I call, and when I hear him answer, he's he's having a conversation with someone, and he's going, Yeah, I told her her pussy good, but you know, it ain't all that. And I just kind of was like, let me just hang up. He calls right back. And I was like, you know, I heard you. And he was like, I knew you were on the phone. I was like, so you are having an affair. I knew you were on the phone. I said, okay, so let me just make sure we're clear. Let me just make sure we're clear. Of I got two ways to look at this. You do something really nice for me that you know that will provoke a phone call. When I call, you're either going to pretend you're having an affair to hurt me, or you're going to be actually having an affair that will hurt me. So how am I supposed to look at this? And I just like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. And I just remember just hanging up the phone and going to bed. And the final straw, this wasn't the final straw, but this is when I was like, something is really, really wrong. I come in working 36 hours straight. And remember I said he's OCD. 
and I come in the house and I threw my shoes. I didn't put my shoes up because I was tired. I just want to go to bed, put my shoes up. So I just threw them off. Now, remember I told you at this point he wasn't working. He's standing in my kitchen and he goes, oh my God, Tawan, you are so lazy. And I just remember just, and I didn't say a word. And I just went on to the bathroom and I just kept saying to myself, do not cry. Do not cry. Do not cry. I went, I put on my pajamas, I got in the bed and that's when I cried. And I said to myself, this dude is crazy. I don't fix crazy. And that's when really the awakening started. And that's what triggered for me to look up domestic violence. That's how I started realizing. So are you seeing the first part of this? Are you seeing that it didn't start him hitting me? And we stay because we're holding on to the man that we marry, hoping we can do what's right to bring him back. And then they have a way, my husband, he at the time, he would pretend that I, I left. And the other thing you have to realize I think the statistic, don't quote me on this one. The statistic is they have to leave seven times before they're gone for good. I left three. I left three times. The first time he pretended he was going to commit suicide and how, oh my God, I'm so wrong. I'm such a horrible person. I can't believe I'm treating someone I love like this. Okay. I'm going to try to work this out with you. I'm going to try to stick around on this. Okay. So they are really good of knowing what your emotions are. And they know you love them. They know that you're trying to hang on to who they used to be. And until you get to the part of realizing they're gone, the person that you thought you were with, you were married to, that you loved was the facade. You are married to a real monster. And, but they have, they have these traits that they will convince everybody around you so that when you get out, when you get out, nobody is going to believe you. He had convinced some of my friends that I had had some kind of mental breakdown and I was the one that was crazy. But then on some hand, some of my friends were like, oh my God, I don't know what is going on with you, but your light is back. You are glowing. This is after I finally left him. And it's almost like you're under a spell. That's the best way I can describe it. And until you're gone long enough, until you make the final decision that I am gone, I am not coming back, you will still be locked under that spell. So for those of you who have people that you love, the hard truth is there's really nothing you can do except have send them my book, The Six Figure Battered Wife, send them the book. So they can read it my, themselves, send them this video so that they could hear it. And what I'm saying will trigger incidents that they're living under that's very similar because I'm speaking their language. The only thing you can really do is when they say they're ready to leave, get them the hell up out of there and support them. No amount of talking to me, no amount of begging with me would have gotten me to leave until I said I'd had enough. And a lot of times you're not even going to know that, especially with high achieving women. Charlie, I don't know about you, um, but high achieving women who have success, 
we're not even going to tell you because A, we're, we don't even know what's happening to us. We don't even have a word for it. And B, we don't know what to do about it ourselves. But baby, when I sent out the alarm to my cousin, to my sister, I made a call to my cousin. And I was like, um, the first, the first time, the first night that I left, I called my best friend, Lorna, and she came and helped me get stuff out. When I snuck back in the second time, I finally decided it's time for me to tell my family. It's time for me to start talking about this. It was nothing but love. And the other thing abusers do is they isolate you. They convince you that the people around you mean you no good because they only want your their voice to be heard. And so he would always say, your um, your friends don't really respect you. They're they're afraid of you and they're jealous of you. And but that's the one thing that he could never trigger trigger. Like it was like, no, I know my 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 friends. They won't have a fit if when I ever I get to tell them. But he would make it. But when I told my sister this, I was like, I didn't experience the isolation. He was like, yes, she did. And I said, what do you mean? He she said he made it so uncomfortable for us to come over there. Halona says, but my family member's husband blocks communication with the family. That's what I was just, that's what I just said, Halona, that he makes it so uncomfortable for them. In some cases, and like Halona is saying, and I'm hoping I'm saying your name right, Halona, I realize I've never said it, I've only read it, um, is that they will isolate her so that he can actually be the only voice he, she hears. So then it really becomes an erosion of your self-esteem. So the last thing I'm going to cover, I want to cover before we let go. If you got questions for me, ask me. I'm With this, I am an open book. Ask me. I'm going to give you the five signs you're sleeping next to crazy. And this, these are a great criteria for you to really discern, am I going to be able to fix this? Am I going to be able to come out of this? Am I going to be able to, um, Charlotte says, I was so numb, I sat in silence. Rosalind says, I remember meeting old boy at homecoming, knew it was something about him I didn't like. Either people have that experience with him or they genuinely love him or they watch me. Like one of my friends was like, you were, I, I, I couldn't picture what was going on, but when you weren't around him, you were just this life of the party. But when you were around him, you shrunk. He's like, but I couldn't really articulate, but I just knew something was off every time, every time that you came around. Um, Urban Spencer says, what happened during the counseling? You mean the counseling that he and I went to? Great question. <laughs> when we first started going to counseling, that's when I found out about all the affairs. He tore up the counselor's office. That's when he first spit in my face. Um, because I told you, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch a narcissist go nuclear over a lie. He denied everything. He told me it was all in my head. Then it flipped in. How dare I look into his financials? And I'm like, dude, I'm the one that's paying the bills. What do you mean? Your financials. And it came to a head uh, 
when I moved money out of the account that only had his name, but I had access to it to pay off debt that he had created. And that's when that's when he started threatening my life. And oh, and let me let me tell you this. The next. Ah, let me tell you this next escalation. The next escalation, because I started fighting him back. We were tussling. Remember I said, you know, I braced myself for the defense. The last escalation is they start coming for your family. They start threatening your family. You got somebody said it here and I'm going to echo it. You get to the point you don't care about yourself. I didn't care if I lived or died anymore. I did not want something to happen to my mother and my brother. And that's who he started threatening every time. I will fly to Tennessee and bury your family. That's when, and I know I knew him. I knew his background. So I know what he was capable of. And so that's when I really started getting scared because it had nothing to do with me. The last incident that, you know, that I, the last physical incident, I didn't pray to save my life. When he was choking me, not for I didn't pray for it for myself. I prayed for my mother. I didn't want my mother finding out I had been living like this. I didn't want my mother finding out that uh, I didn't want her living with guilt of could she have done something? Could she have? Could she have helped? Um, that's what I start praying like, Lord, you cannot let me die like this because my mother would never forgive herself because you honestly get to the point you don't care about what happens to you. So the five signs you are sleeping next to crazy. The five signs you're sleeping next to crazy. C, is he crafty with making the irrational sound rational? I've given you plenty of examples of that. But the main example that hit me one day is he had hit me with his left fist. And when I said to him, you just hit me with your fist, he said, but I hit you with my left. At least I didn't hit you with my right. Can you imagine what I would have done with your right, with my right? Now, logically, that makes sense, right? Like he's right-handed. He would have done some serious damage had he hit me with the right hand. Do you understand? Like for me to even pause to have that irrational thought and turn it into something rational for him is like, well, I just hit you with my left. So you have to like you you have to start discerning like they are they they really you you realize that was irrational, right? Or does he refuse to accept responsibility for his actions? I've given you examples of that. Nothing was his fault. It always turned into, it always turned into, well, if you had, if you learn how to treat your husband or if you learn how to, you know, speak right or communicate with your husband, right, then I wouldn't have to go, you know, I wouldn't be going off. You know, you, me tearing up the house is your fault. And notice he, he would never tear up his stuff. It was always stuff that was important to me. It got to the point I was hiding stuff in my house because I knew in a fight he would destroy it. So it was always my cell phone, uh, my precious uh, keepsakes. It was always that. A, does he assume responsibility as sole decision maker? I was the one that was working, but he is the one that had the gift of strategy and finances. 
but he will make all the decisions as though I wasn't working. Like he did a lot of remodeling around the house. And when I would ask questions about it, he was like, well, you don't need to be involved. I'm like, but it's my contribution is paying for all this. And so one day I came home, there's a pool in my backyard and I used to have all these beautiful palm trees around my pool. I came home, was coming down the street and I saw these big old cranes just lifting out the palm trees of my backyard. I, I knew none of that. I, I knew nothing about that. And when I walked in, I was like, you, you don't think you could tell me this? Well, what do you need to know for? So they, they take on, they assume the responsibility, the role of sole decision maker. You are not to be consulted. Z, does he zero in on your mistakes and your flaws and your insecurities? Let me tell you something. We used to have, I used to have to listen to lectures. He, he could lecture me for about three hours. It, I'm telling you, it got to be a game. I would sit at my computer and angle myself so he couldn't see that I was looking at my computer. And I would clock him of how long he could talk without me saying anything. And a lot of times it would be stuff that had nothing to do with them. Mistakes that I made in my past as a teenager, as a, as a, you know, growing up without my dad being in the house for the first eight years. It was, it, he would zero in on stuff that was in my past. We can't have a conversation about what made him his, the way he was, but it was always, we need to get to the bottom of your issues. And then finally, the why. The why is, does he yank at the mental, physical, and spiritual stability of your life? I liken that to a wood, a, 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 a freshly polished wood floor, and you have a rug. You know, sometimes as a kid, you're trying to be sliding around on the rug, and you have to spread your legs because you're trying to find your balance. You never can find your balance because he's always yanking at it. He's always tugging. If it was, I was always tugging at, at the rug. And so I never could get comfortable. And so if we're out, you know, and I'm standing there and he's heaping all kinds of compliments on me to his, his uh, friends or whoever we're with, my wife is the greatest. She's this successful editor. She's this, she's that. And I didn't know how to stand there and be because it was like, I know I'm gonna get cussed out when I get in the car. For my 35th uh, birthday, my uh, friends, he had told my friends he had something planned for me, planned for me, planned for me. And they had been wanting to do something, wanting to do something. And they've come to find out he hadn't done anything. So they put together a dinner for me really quickly. We get to the restaurant. And he and, and I saw this the other day. They all It got to the point where I never told him what I was excited for or looking forward to if it was someplace we were going to go together. Because he inevitably was going to pick a fight, either make me late or um, just ruin it for me. So in the car, he had picked a fight about something. We get to the restaurant. He drops me off at valet. He drops me off while he goes to park. I go up. All my friends are there. We hugging or whatever. I'm on another part of the room enjoying my friends. He walks in and I just see that he's in whatever, whatever. We get in the car and I get a lecture because I did not come greet him when he came into the room. And I was like, I was just in the car with you. It's not like I hadn't seen you all day. You dropped me off. We were apart for five minutes. But do you get what I'm saying? It's like, okay, okay so now I have to greet you every single time I see. It was insane. 
But I wanted to say that I wanted to do this so that you can see and have a clear understanding. It just does not start by somebody hitting you. That's why when the Janae and Renee, the Janae and Ray Rice thing happened, where he knocked the hell out of her in an elevator to the point she was knocked out and people, and then she went on with the wedding. Everybody was like, she's a gold digger. She knows she wants that NFL money. And I was sitting there going, no. Because Janae, I did my homework on her. She was accomplished in her own right. What I think happened is she was still holding on to who she thought Ray was when they first started dating. Him hitting her in the elevator, it was an erosion to get there. That wasn't a one-time thing. That wasn't a, especially the way he just hauled off and just knocked her. Like he was a boxer. They had escalated to that point. And so when they went ahead with the wedding, I was just like, hopefully, he will get some help. He will realize that this is a him problem, not a her problem, because she's not a gold digger. She is holding on to the man she fell in love with. And until you get to that point, so Helona, for your, your cousin, I think it was, your family member, whoever you said, has been in it for eight years. I was married for 10. I was married for 10. And the verbal abuse started the day after the wedding. I didn't know it at that point. I remember making a statement to him. I'm like, it's almost like the day we got married, you just started hating me because he would start, start picking at me, not knowing that that was the early beginning of verbal abuse. And the scars heal, you know, the bruises I had around my neck from being choked. You know, my hair has grown back where he actually pulled locks out of my head. I have two damaged discs in my back now that I permanently have, but I've learned to manage it if I keep my weight down. But where he slammed me, you know, outside on the concrete, that all healed relative. It took me about three years to unpack the verbal, to unpack the emotional. It took me a long time to even track back to how did I get here? Then once I got out and I realized it wasn't my fault, then I had to process forgiving myself for allowing myself to be treated that badly for so long. The physical abuse started right after we lost our daughter. He started, that's when the physical abuse really started when we lost our daughter. And so for three years, I allowed myself to be humiliated. I remember we were in the car and he slammed my head so hard into the window that it gave me TMJ. He ripped my glasses off and broke them. And the humiliation didn't come from him hitting me. It came because I couldn't see and I felt totally helpless. I couldn't jump out the car. He had ripped my clothes off so I didn't really have clothes. And so they have to go back and track all of those incidents. And then ask myself, T, how did you allow yourself to be treated that way for so long? That was another part of the healing. That was another journey of the healing of realizing you've got to forgive yourself. And you've got to recognize the signs if you ever. And then I don't, I'm not a believer in, you know, what I was attracted him to me. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. There are just narcissists who learn to prey on people. I am a sweetheart. Who I am now is who I was before him. And people love him some TJ. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So no, I, I was not putting that out to be, 
you know, have an abuser drawn to me. That is the game of a narcissist. They pounce and they are predators for people who are sweethearts, for people who are loving and kind, because that is their game. Tony says that self-forgiveness is huge. I do not believe that you are what you attract thing. Yep, Tony, we're, I don't believe that. Because I know that is not what I put out to anybody, which is why I stayed so long and it was so foreign when I had to step back and look at myself and go, you are cussing somebody out. You don't never cuss nobody out. So, uh, unless you got questions, I'll hang out some more, but feel free to share this with, you know, women, men. It does, it comes down to they have to accept for themselves. Roslyn says, I still love you. I still love you too, Roz. They have to accept for themselves. I, it, it was not me. There's nothing I could have done. I could have been the most bomb wife that cooked clean, had a fine body, had four jobs could take care of sex, my husband, take care of the kids. I could have been perfect and he still would have found something wrong because that's what abusers do. That's what narcissists do. So Charlotte says they love to conquer and charm is what they meant. Yes, they're good at it. They are so good at it. And it keeps you on edge and you don't know what's happening until it's too late because it's, it's not an overnight thing. It's years of just them eroding your self-esteem. All right. Coach Sophia says, I must share this. You absolutely can. If it will save a life, because my goal is with that statistic that 70 percent of women are, are killed after they leave their abuser. My goal is to share enough about this that I can help women wake up at the verbal abuse stage. Because if we get them before it turns physical, they got a fighting chance. If they can wake up and recognize it's not them, there's not anything that they can do, then there's a better chance of them surviving this. So thank you for listening. Um, Urban Spencer says, were there any red flags before the marriage? Nope, you may have come in uh, late, but I said at the very beginning, one of the foremost experts is a woman named Patricia Evans, and she writes a book called The Verbally Abusive Man, Can He Change? And one of the first things she talks about is any woman who has been physically abused can usually track back to the very moment that it happens. And it's usually once they've gotten engaged or on the wedding day or at the first child, because whatever it is in the abuser's mind it has cemented, I have her now. So I can be my whole self. She is not going to leave me. I have her locked down. So for me, there were not red flags that he was this monster. There really wasn't. It literally, the day after our wedding is when I noticed the change. And I didn't know there was anything to that until I had a conversation with that author. And she said, and she asked me, when can you track back? And I was like, well, if I'm really honest, it was like the day after the wedding. And that's when she explained it to me. Tony says it's so important for women to know this. The abusers are masters at the art of tearing a person down. Charlie says you never know what man you will be with on a, a given day. That's so true. I never knew who I was going to wake up with. I never knew who I was going to wake up with. 
So, all right. So I'm going to count it down unless you got any more questions. I'm going to throw up deuces. I hope this was beneficial. I hope this saves a life. Um, I hope this really um, uh, helps you if you're trying to understand why do women stay. If you have someone you love um, that is in this and you can't get to them, pick up on Amazon. It's on ebook. It's on a uh, uh, printed version and I walk everything. I gave you the high points, but I walk it through. And not only is it my story, when you get to the middle of the book, you literally have to flip your story and it says time to time to flip your story. I don't know if y'all can see it right, but you have to flip your story. And then I give 10 steps to resilience and, uh, 10 other women shared their stories from varying angles because I wanted to make sure that as many women could find themselves in the journey as possible. All right. So in 10, nine, eight, any more questions? Seven, Tony says, thank you for doing this. I hope people are listening to me too, Tony, me too. Uh, Camille says, yes, thank you for sharing. I married a crazy at 19. And he beat me on our wedding night. Yep. And now I help women identify and heal. Karen says, thank you for sharing your truth. I learned things today. Good, 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 Karen. That makes me happy. Uh, it's okay, Jacqueline. It's okay. Oh, that's right. I did do an interview with you uh, three years ago on this. Um, it is my my goal really to help save a life. So share, I, you know, you can share as much as you want. I, I'm Actually, I'm begging you to share so that this can get into the hands of a woman who is walking around on eggshells. That's really who I'm going for. She doesn't know what's happening to her. She just knows something is off. She just knows something is right. And she's thinking it's her. And she thinks she's going to be able to figure it out. And she's not until she has someone come along and tell her and give her these scenarios that she can see for herself. She will not be able to fix this. And I used to call it, I, I educated and successified my way into denial. Because for me, domestic violence only happened to low incomes, low self-esteem having women. Could happen to a Howard educated, in-demand television editor. It just couldn't. That's what that my perception was. And I was, I used to be the girl. First time he hit me, I'm out. I used to be that girl. I used to be the girl like, I don't understand why she stays. She just needs to leave. Is she crazy? You never know until it happens to you because it's systemic. It happens over time. It happens over time, not all at one time. And there's love involved. So, all right, six. I don't know where I was in the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Mwah. Bye. Well, that's it. Hopefully you enjoy what my TT shared with you. And like she always says, let's go out and make God smile. And don't forget to hug somebody. It's T2 Mercer signing off now. See y'all later.